Welcome back into the Tide Talk podcast. Stacy Blackwood here. I'm joined once again with Jonathan Sanford. We're going to be diving back into the 2020 championship season recap. Uh, we today we have Georgia and Tennessee. Uh, but you know, Jonathan, before we really dive into it, first of all, how are you doing? Uh, and, and are you enjoying doing these podcasts with me? Man, it's it's a blast because we're looking back at historically what may be in retrospect, one of the finest seasons in Alabama history. So to get the opportunity to sit down with you, Stacy, and review something that we're so passionate about, right? And especially looking at these two games today, I'm I'm especially fired up to talk about Georgia and Tennessee. Yeah, uh, you know, we uh, we talked about a little bit last week about Saban having to go against former assistants. And uh, once again, in this, in this episode, it's two former assistants in Kirby Smart and Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, just that uh, that gauntlet that Saban had to go through last season, it really is something it, – it's really amazing the amount of coaches that he's had to face over the years that are former assistants. And I think that's a tribute to the job that he does while they are assistants there with him at Alabama or LSU for that matter, even Michigan State. The guys who have served alongside Nick Saban over the years, they've seen their careers uh, – have an upturn, at least for a short-term while, right? And, and we kind of joke, uh, I believe SEC Shorts talks about Nick Saban having the coaching rehabilitation program, and <laughs> that's been funny over the years to see some guys come in after some failed ventures in coaching and then turn around and, and see their career go to a more positive note. We've seen this most recently with Lane Kiffin and now Steve Sarkeesian. So running the gauntlet, as you like to say here, of these uh, previous assistants. <laughs> Right. And there's a lot to talk about when, when you look at this this Georgia-Alabama game. Uh, but really the biggest story of the week was when Nick Saban tested positive for COVID on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, when that positive test come out and the news broke, you know, what was your really initial reaction and how did you feel about that? All right. First of all, going into the season, we knew this was a possibility. So I shouldn't be shocked, but I was shocked. I mean, this is Nick Saban. This guy doesn't have a kryptonite, right? right. And then that day when the news broke, it, it kind of caught me off guard. And then to see him there at about 6 o'clock at his home doing the press conference where usually we see him up on that podium there at the University of Alabama, it was just a different feel. But then a few emotions started coming to my mind right away, and that is, this is Georgia. This is Kirby Smart. Right. And they just two weeks earlier had devastated Auburn mm-hmm. at Auburn. So it, it's, I'm not going to say I was worried, but it certainly got my attention. Yeah, that was, that, that really was kind of the story of the week leading into the game. And like, like you said, it was more of a, him being absent for the game wasn't really a huge deal for me because most of the coaching is done during the week at practice and then preparation of the game. But I was I was definitely a little concerned when the news broke. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it without over dramatizing the moment right. here. You know, just a little concern is the best way to put it, Stacy. Yeah, but fortunately enough, Saban did get, end up getting three straight negative or, or yeah negative COVID tests, so he was cleared to be out there Saturday. And of course, we're really excited that he was able to be on the field with the players. Yeah, you know, I got a little bit emotional, I got to say, yeah. when he stepped out of that tunnel with the players and he does that normal routine of his back is to the fans, he's looking at his players, and then eventually he turns around to lead them out on the field. I got to admit, I got a little bit emotional watching that that evening. 
Absolutely. It, it, it really was a great moment, and I'm sure the players – I'm sure it meant a lot to the players to have Coach Saban out there with them. And I also think it meant a lot to Coach Saban. I think he got just a little taste, Stacy, in those few days being away from his team of what retirement might be like and uh, fired him up just a little bit more. Yeah, he definitely had that little bit of an edge, and uh, we were really happy to get him back. And and before we really dive into the, I guess, the guts of the game and, and talk about all the ins and outs and the storylines of the game, I want to tell you a little bit about betonline.ag. You know, the football season is over with, but, of course, the NBA and college basketball and NHL seasons are in full swing. And the only place you should be betting on these sports is betonline.ag. They also have great prop bets, not just on sporting events, but award shows, TV shows, and reality TV. Uh, so just head on over to, to, to the website right now on your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag. All right. Well, where, where to start? Uh, you know, coming into this game, you, you look at Georgia and, and Kirby Smart, and you know they're going to be a great defensive team. So, you know, the, fir- the first few games, you saw what Alabama and Mac Jones and that offense could do. So how did you think the matchup would, would go in that game between the Alabama offense and the Georgia defense? Between the Alabama offense and the Georgia defense, you know, I, I really felt like Alabama was still going to be able to make the plays, right? I, I really felt like offensively we were in good shape against the Georgia defense. My concern, Stacy, was not so much the Alabama offense against the Georgia defense. It was the Alabama defense versus the Georgia offense after what had just happened earlier against Ole Miss. Yeah, definitely. The The defense was a cause for concern after that showing against Ole Miss the previous week. So, uh, and then, then right off the bat, you know, Alabama gets the ball. And on the very first play of the game, Mac is Mac is under a lot of pressure, throws it, and it's ruled an interception. Uh, I think it was Richard LeCount, I believe. Yeah, it was. That, it was a count, that, and he and he will say, well, he cradled the football. But yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm not sure how they call that interception. But am I being a I homer? Digress. Am I being a homer if I still think that was an interception, Stacy? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm. I feel I, I'm the same way. There's no way that was a pick. But I, I digress. But what do you know? Georgia gets the ball, and just a couple plays later, DJ Dale bats the ball in the air, and Justin Aboyby happens to be there and makes the interception. So, you know, the, 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 uh, I, I don't want to say this. You, you are a preacher. <laughs> I don't, the, 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 foot, the football gods were looking after Alabama at that moment. <laughs> no, I got to agree with you. And I, my, my gut reaction at the moment of that interception with Georgia having such great field position was, oh boy, we're about to be down seven to nothing just like right. that, right? But as you mentioned, and this is something I talked to my son about, who is a defensive lineman. You watch the guys that Alabama do such a great job when when they know they're not going to get to the quarterback of timing, getting up those hands. And Dale and other guys over the last few years at Alabama have done an incredible job of timing, getting those hands up into those passing lanes and deflecting passes. And Dale did a great job, and a boy just happened to be in the right spot to get the interception and just. It, it felt good. It, it felt good to see the Alabama defense have a play early on in that ball game go their way. Yeah, you know the the Alabama defense over the past several years have has kind of you know made their money 
on making uh, plays on the defensive side of the ball, where whether it's forcing turnovers or getting a big sack or a strip sack or you know something like that. And to see a play like that happen that early in the game after what happened the previous week, it really did feel good. Uh, but but then as the first half kind of transpired, Georgia really had the momentum for for every bit of that first half. Uh, you know, they're up 24 to – what is it, 24 to 17 late in that second half or late in that second quarter. And then, you know, as as both of us have talked, you know, you know pre-recording, what we believe is the, the, the play that changed the season for Alabama happened right before halftime. Yeah, I know a lot of people might kind of shrug their shoulders a little bit, but we talked about this offline and Reichert steps up. And there's one second left, right? How many of us have heard about oh, one yeah. second, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of Alabama fans thinking, oh, not again. You know, here we go. 52-yard field goal on the line. Reichert steps up. And and it just felt like this wave of positive emotion just flooded over not only the team, but Alabama fans everywhere when Reichert steps up and just drills that field goal from 52 yards out. And you could see it on Reichert's face. You could see it on the entire team that was running up and celebrating with him. That was almost, I, I said this last week, and I know it's funny to think about, but almost like exercising a demon. I mean, yeah. uh, you go back to the championship game uh, against Clemson and, and the missed field goals, the missed extra point, and how that kind of demoralized the team. This positively affected the momentum and the morale of this team going into halftime, and boy, did it ever. It, it really did. And just to speak a little bit more about that, that field goal attempt, I, I remember I, I was on the phone with my dad and, and it's, y'all are not going to believe me, but I told him, I said, this, this could be what makes or breaks this team. I said, yeah. I know it's still early in the season, but I really felt like, you know, if, cause Alabama, ha- they had to have that kick. They had, they didn't have any momentum. Georgia had just scored a touchdown. Alabama had to have that kick. And 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 Rockard made it. I mean, it just it, it was one of the, I, I'll never forget the moment. I, and I know it's uh you know the game four of the season, and uh you know the the timing doesn't seem like it should be a a memorable moment, but uh, I'm not sure I'll forget that for a long time. You know, the the fight song talks about writ his name in crimson flame, right? Mm-hmm. And a, a lot of us look back in my childhood to Van Tiffen, right? Yeah. Um, 52-yard field goal to beat Auburn, you know, at the end of the Iron Bowl. And I'm not putting this on the same level, right? Don't get me wrong. But for this team, where they were at in this game, with Mm -hmm. everything they had battled in the offseason with COVID-19, with Saban's situation, the week missing, you know, unable to be present with the team on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday – it just culminated in that moment to one of the most special um, momentum-gaining moments that I can remember in Alabama football in quite a long time. And that's something that's pretty amazing to say about a field goal. It, it, it really is. Uh, and, and like we mentioned, it was, it was the moment that changed the game because in the second half, Alabama just completely dominated. They, they went in down 24-21 to 21 at halftime. And uh, or twenty four to twenty at halftime, and they just completely <laughs> just annihilated Georgia in the second half, and it, it, you know they really didn't have a chance when it got to the fourth quarter. I mean, when you think about 
that Alabama has outscored Georgia 71 to 17 in the second halves plus you know the one overtime that we know all so well celebrated second and 26 last week right 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 the last three meetings have been all Alabama Crimson Tide come from behind wins in the second half you go back to 2018 what Georgia's leading Alabama 13-0 at halftime yep 21-14 in the SEC championship game in 2018. And then now, 24-20 at halftime, the Alabama defense does not allow Georgia to score a single second-half point. And Alabama goes, we talked about the offense, right? A 24 to nothing run. And that really just an incredible way to turn that game around. Yeah, and like you mentioned, a 24 to nothing run in the second half. And obviously that was led by Mac Jones and the, the duo at wide receiver and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. And just just talk a little bit about what that duo was able to do against Georgia in that game. Well, you talk about two touchdown passes going to Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. I, I like to refer to them looking back now as a super duo. Not only <laughs> only got to see them for, you know, half the season basically, but when you think about the fact that these two guys combined for 328 yards receiving, Whew. come on, man, that's unheard of. That really um, is. And then Mac, 24, 32, 417, four touchdowns. He records in that game his third straight 400-yard passing game. I mean – he owns several of the Alabama's, uh, at that point, was nine 400-yard passing games in the right. program's history. Um, and then the long ball. We talked about it against Ole Miss and, and, the, and the games previous. He was four or five on passes over 30 yards for 202 yards in that game. And wow. listen to this passer rating, 219.5 against the nation's, at the time, top ranked defense <laughs> it it really is incredible the way i mean mac mac had one bad play in the game and it was the it was the opening play that really wasn't an interception so and it wasn't this, his fault Saban, right, Saban it wasn't his made fault. it clear it wasn't right. his fault yeah yeah just just an incredible performance by by mac and like you mentioned georgia was one of the top defenses in the country especially at that point in the season i, I believe they were only giving up around 12 points a game uh you know heading into that game and you know, Alabama was able to score 41. And, you know, it wasn't just in the air either. Najee no. Harris, you know, I mean, he, he was able to get 152 yards on 31 carries and one touchdown. So just a, I don't want to say balance because the numbers are, you know, you know, way different. But in today's time, that really is a balanced attack. You know, one of the guys that I want to credit in this game looking back is Alex Leatherwood. I mean, here he is on that offensive line that, that frankly, dominated the line of scrimmage. Alabama racks up 564 yards of total offense. We've mentioned the 417 yards. We've mentioned the 152 yards. Alex Sutherwood did not miss a single assignment. When they went back and reviewed the tape, he did not miss a single assignment in that game or commit a penalty. And that type of play up front is really what set the course for, for both Mack and for Najee. 
Yeah, no doubt. He in there's a reason that Alex will be a first round pick, you know, coming up here in the NFL draft. Uh, just a just a supreme athlete and a, and a very good football player. And I, I want to add somebody else kind of here, Miller Forstall. I don't know if you remember in this game or not. He hurt not just one of his ankles, but both man. of his ankles on different occasions and just toughed wow. it out, man. What I mean, a trooper. I mean, he, he goes really to the is. locker room. Goes to the locker room. Yeah. And comes back out and contributes. I mean, he was bumbling and stumbling, right? I mean, because he's playing on <laughs> two bum ankles. <laughs> two bum ankles at that point, right? But man, that's what Alabama football is all about that grit and that determination. You know, I want to talk about some of the defensive guys real quick that, yeah. that stood out to me. Christopher Allen. Yeah. Aren't you excited to see him again this year? Because oh, I know man. I am. Man, it's, uh, he, he he's a guy that not enough people are talking about. Will Anderson oh. gets all the all the love right there on the edge, but uh, I think Chris Allen is going to make a name for himself this fall because he he was starting to make plays last season. I mean, this was one of the early performances that caught my my eye. He recorded four tackles in this game, including uh, one uh, for a four yard loss. Uh, had a a quarterback hurry and and helped Alabama to force Georgia to throw three interceptions and only 18 of 40 passing for wow. the night. And Stetson, you know, we know how that story went with Stetson, but Christopher Allen had a good game. You know, Dylan Moses finished with 10 tackles that night and finished second ranked on the defense for that evening and had a sack. Uh, he had one of his better roles, but we talked about Patrick Sertain, uh being one of the best press cover corners, you know, in the previous episode, but um, – Three interceptions on the night for the Tide defense, and he really helped that. Had five tackles and a pass breakup. Uh, and then you mentioned uh, Reichert. So those are all the guys that stood out to me. Anybody else that stood out to you? Yeah, real, real quick. Uh, a guy that made a play later in that game who it, it was kind of the first time you really saw what he was going to be able to accomplish the rest of the season, and that was Malachi Moore. Great uh, I, I believe that that night he started figuring things out and – uh, he started making plays for the album of secondary, and uh, you, you could really see what type of player he could be back there playing that star position. Absolutely right. I, and, boy, what a, what a contribution we got out of that young freshman all season long until, unfortunately, the injury bug kind of bit him uh, in the SEC championship game and forward. Right. He, him and Brian Branch both played really well you know, considering their youth and, you know, they didn't have a, they didn't have a spring, uh, fall camp was obviously a little different. So, uh, you know, th those guys played really well considering the circumstances. 41, 24. I'll take it. No, no doubt about that. No doubt about that. Really, really good win for Alabama and, uh, really, ex you know, it really got you excited for, for the rest of the season. And you know you're you're almost to the halfway point now of the season. You know you're you're fisting to face off against Tennessee, I and mean, that's what we're going to be talking about next. But real quick, I want to tell you a little bit about eBay. Whether dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop that pair that you've been eyeing. And for the sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers of a hundred dollars or more making it free to sell or flip your collection. Go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection. 
All right, Tennessee, once again, another Saban assistant is on the sideline in Jeremy Pruitt. <laughs> it just I, – I know we keep bringing it up, but it really it's just crazy. It really is. It's crazy. It is. I, I mean, the thing I that stands out it. to me about it is that it has become such a regular part of our existence. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and of course, Tennessee has been down and – uh, nobody really thought Tennessee had much of a chance. Uh, but just l- like you mentioned, Saban has built such a massive coaching tree that literally half his SEC schedule is going to be his uh, former assistants. It's uh, it really is an, an amazing accomplishment for Saban, which I, that's what I view it as is, is an, as a, just another feather in his cap <laughs> to 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 look at there for Coach Saban. Well, first of all, we're headed up to Knoxville, Tennessee, right? Uh, the uh, as one person once told me, the garbage truck worker convention. <laughs> and, Absolutely. Uh, if you're keeping score at home, folks, that's uh, what fourteen straight uh, 14 for straight. Alabama over Tennessee. Really? Um, uh, wow. Uh, I think what the final of this game was Alabama forty-eight, Tennessee seventeen. But there's a lot of storylines here. Let's let's kind of take a look at some of them. Yeah, you know, first of all, I hate to relive the moment, but the opening kickoff, down goes Jalen Waddle. I mean, I, just just real quick, when that happened, how, how did you react? All right, now, first of all, I, I share this with you offline, but those <laughs> of you know I'm a minister. We had a member of our congregation uh, that passed away from covid and we were doing the funeral at the start. The funeral started at 2. And we weren't going to be done in time to see the opening kickoff. So as soon as we're done with the funeral on the graveside, I run out to the truck. And I turn on the radio. And there's no mention. No mention of Jalen Waddle. <laughs> and they're on offense. I'm thinking, well, this guy hasn't caught a pass in a while. What's going on? And then finally... One of the commentators makes mention that Jalen Waddle was injured on the opening kickoff. So as soon as I get home, I'm DVRing that thing back, and I watch it, and my heart just sank because it reminded me so much of Kenyon Drake's injury. Right. Um, it was almost identical, the, the, the way it planted, and, and I thought for sure that's what we were fixing to see uh, be the announcement, and it was. I mean, not even before the end of the game, everybody knew – the prognosis. I'm a fractured ankle, right? So definitely was a sour start, but the way this team performed despite that injury is what stood out to me in this game. Yeah, you know, and and it really was one of those moments where you're like, good grief, are you serious? <laughs> I mean, well, no, at that point in the season, I, I think you could make the argument that Jalen Waddle was the Heisman favorite. And he uh, was pound for pound the best player in college football at the time. Yeah. And and so it's just it's amazing that that you know, looking back on that, that Devontae and Mac and Najee were still able to perform the way they did without Waddle on the field. So just just it's really is remarkable. I hated it for Waddle because he he was on his way to a special season, but you know, looking at this game real quick before we wrap this episode up, one of the stats that really stood out to me is that that Mac had a really great game, 25 of 31, 387 yards, but he did not throw a touchdown pass. 
I mean, what are the chances of that? Yeah. Well, in, in this game, with the way this game went and the rhythm of this game, looking back on it when I rewatched it, I, I can see why. But when you look at the other guys who stepped up, uh, they did their job. And that's what it's all about, Stacey, on a championship year. You may have games where your top performers don't perform at the level that you're accustomed to, but other guys step up. John Mechie came up big in this game, 151 yards on seven t- catches. Right. Yeah. I mean, this was the fourth straight game that Alabama had a 150-yard receiver. And he said, Mechie said that he found out about Waddle's diagnosis a few drives after he left the field, and that, that fueled him. And then Shane uh, Slade Bolden, right, steps right. in in the slot position, catches six passes for 96 yards. Now, you you talked about no touchdown passes for Mac. Well, Slade had one touchdown pass yeah. that he dropped from, yep. from Young that I remember in that game. But mm-hmm. somebody else stepped up, right? When right. Mac doesn't perform, Najee Harris comes up 96 yards and three touchdowns. And some receiving yards on top of that ends the game with 157 yards. And that was the 12th straight game that Harris had had a rushing touchdown. So, yeah, as much as I was kind of surprised by the lack of touchdowns for Mac, I thought the other guys stepped up and more than carried the weight. Yeah, you're really starting to see at this point in the season in the at the halfway point that this that this Alabama team is a complete team that we are going to rely on our star players, but when the star players are not quite performing to their normal level, that we have guys that can step up and make plays. I mean, it's not like Smith had a terrible game. I mean, he had seven catches for 73 yards. That's a pretty solid performance. It's a solid performance. But, but you know, we're used to his 155 yards on <laughs> 10 catches and, and one half. So uh, it wasn't quite up to par for what he had been doing. But but like you mentioned, it's great to see those other guys step up and make plays when they have to. And speaking of making plays, we talked about him a minute ago, Malachi Moore to Absolutely. start that had second that, half. Had that start. strip six of Eric yep. Gray, right? 28 exactly. yards. I mean, yeah. and you're starting to see the defense become very opportunistic. Last year, Alabama did not have what I would call a great defense, but they had a good defense that was very opportunistic. And you're starting to see that come into come into play with that strip uh, or that, that forced fumble that he returned for a touchdown from Malachi Moore. And like I mentioned, you started seeing his playmaking ability there on the back end. You know, this was maybe one of Alabama's best defenses performances of the season. And I remember – looking at this game and remembering what Saban said afterwards, he said, we did some good things defensively, but gave up some big plays. And and those big plays were Garantano, right? Hitting uh, Hyatt, I believe, was a 30-yard touchdown, and uh, Palmer on a 27-yard touchdown. One was in the first half and one was in the second half. So, yes, Saban was not pleased with giving up those over-the-top plays, right? But I think – Alabama's defense did as good of a job defensively against Tennessee as they could possibly do. And and you you mentioned Malachi Moore. I mean, he just continued to make plays. He had the – I remember a big breakup he had on a deep ball. Um, yep. To think, looking back, Stacy, to think that some questioned Alabama's decision <laughs> to take number 13 out of Hewitt Trustful – Right. Looking retrospectively, they were dead wrong, my friend. And you brought up Brian Branch, 
I mean, really good. And I think we saw more of him as the season went on because of his performance here in this Tennessee game. Yeah, you know, looking at here at the, at the box score, the the defensive side of the ball in today's time, you give up seventeen points. That that's great defense to me in, in yep. today's age of, of college football. But you know, zero sacks in this game for Alabama. They didn't. They only had one QB hurry the entire game. That is yeah, that, that is unreal. That and was I, one and Sorry, I remember ahead. looking back at that uh, and remembering that, you know, when the game was live, I thought, man, we're, we're not really getting a lot of pressure here on Garantano. And uh, now we were able to, you know, create some negative plays in the backfield in the run game. I believe we finished with eight tackles for loss. So you'll take that every day of the week. But but the the, the pass rush was still not quite there uh, for this team. And, and, and you saw that start to kind of kick in as the season continued. Well, I think great minds think alike here, Stacy, because I wrote <laughs> down in my notes about the interior defensive line, and that one of the main things that stood out when I rewatched this game yesterday was DJ Dale. He got kind of, let's just say, pushed around a little yep. bit uh, once his uh, back was to the line of scrimmage, and he had a lot of trouble uh, uh, against um, the offensive line of t- Tennessee holding the point. Um but one of the guys who did do a better job when I rewatched it than I thought did and the first time I watched it, and that was Tim Smith. Uh, I was I was impressed with Tim Smith. Thought he did a good job of of holding his ground and securing gaps and kind of filling the lanes. Uh, and he played with some, I would say, some real power that I, I like to see out of him. Uh, another guy that that I watched here late in that game was Jamil Burroughs. Uh, not mm-hmm. somebody we talk a lot about, but two young guys that are going to have to step up for this team going forward. So that was a good one. Another person I wanted to talk about was Will Anderson. You know, I heard some people just monitoring social media and some of the channels that we like to to visit from time to time. Uh, they were critical of Will Anderson. And I wanted to ask you, did, didn't you think it was a little misplaced some of the criticisms we heard of Will Anderson, like maybe people expecting just a little bit too much too early out of this young man? Well, I, I believe what it is is people get caught up in the numbers too much. Uh, Will Anderson was impactful in every game that he played in, even if he got a sack or not. So I think people really misunderstand uh, how Will Anderson performed just based on the sack numbers especially early on in the season when he – I mean, I don't think he got his first sack until around the seventh or eighth, eighth ball game of the year. So uh, I, I just think they were looking at that – at the box score and at the stat sheet and seeing that zero in the stat column and thinking, well, you know, I thought he was some pass rush specialist. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I and, and I hate to be critical of fans, but some fans don't quite understand the game well enough to criticize players, and I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> Well, you know, my biggest reply to folks that were criticizing Will Anderson at this point in the season uh, going into the Tennessee game was, Stacey, he was leading the SEC in quarterback pressures. Now, don't bring up sacks to Nick Saban. Exactly. Don't bring them up. If you're one of the media members and you bring them up, he's going to give you an education (laughs) about the importance of quarterback pressures. And Anderson was leading the SEC – as a freshman, a true freshman, <laughs> uh, going into that Tennessee game. So, as a good friend of mine says, must be doing something right. 
Exactly. And, and and not only was it his ability to to rush the passer and affect the quarterback, but he done a really good job of setting the edge uh, on running down. So I, I, I had no problem with the way Will Anderson had performed. Uh, you know, he, he, obviously I would have liked for him to have a couple, couple of sacks there with all the hurries that he had, but he was always in the backfield making plays. Another guy that stood out to me, um, and I wish the rest of his season would have been allowed to go this way, and that was Trey Sanders. This was his first, going back and watching this game, this was his first real opportunity. Um, and the truth is, when I watched him in this game, I I thought he flashed. I, I yep. thought his size, his speed, getting to the edge. At that moment in the season, I thought, this cat is going to be uber important down the stretch. you know. And, and we know how things turned out for Trey, and unfortunately we're still – uh, thinking about him and his recovery, but I thought he he really showed some real flash uh, in this Tennessee game. Another guy that you know I we didn't talk a lot about him as much as I thought. He's from here out of Texas. Uh, was Drew Sanders? Um, you know I really expected to see a little bit more out of Drew uh, toward the end of last season, but this game he stood out to me on special teams. He was a a, a beast on special teams in this game. And then I wanted to ask you about Bryce Young. He came in uh, in this game, and Pruitt did not set back. As you talked about last week, Pruitt brought the blitzes, brought the pressures, yeah. and what I liked was Bryce didn't flinch. He didn't flinch. It was it was one of his better games that he had in the season. And I say games. I mean, he, he played sparingly <laughs> at the end of contest with, you know, with other backups. So, it's not really fair to judge his performances from last season, but I was impressed with the way Young played. And like you mentioned earlier, uh, he should have had a touchdown pass in this game to Slay Bolton. He just he just couldn't hold on to it. So, yeah, Bryce Young played well. You started to see, like you mentioned, Trey Sanders has that burst or that extra gear that that you know nothing against Najee, just Najee just does not have. And uh, I, I'm with you. I, I thought that Trey Sanders was starting to show that he was. He was going to be the real deal and, and a key factor as the season uh, went on. Well, and looking back at this game, I guess the only other person that really stood out to me was Billingsley. I don't think we talked a lot about Billingsley in the previous episode, but, boy, he sure looked good in this game to me. His route running was crisp. Uh, for Folks, uh, Trey, uh, I mean, Billingsley is a big guy. Yeah. And yeah, big guys four. don't usually run routes as crisp as um, as Billingsley does. And uh, I really thought in this game, I remember watching it that day and thinking, what a factor this guy is going to be going forward. And I think he he lived up to much of my expectations. Yeah, absolutely. He's uh, he's definitely one of the guys I'm looking forward to see see this spring. I really think he has a chance to have a special year. But this game, uh, not much else to add. To the game here, uh, Alabama gets a victory, forty-eight to seventeen. They're now halfway through the regular season, and they sit at five and zero, oh, and they really, really look like a contender to win it all. Uh, the offense is there, and the defense is coming around. Anything else you want to add before we head out of here today? Yeah, I've got one final thing that I thought was quite ironic. Going back and looking at this um, at this game, post game, Coach Pruitt was talking to some of his uh, boosters and such, and he made this statement. He said, the gap is closing with Alabama. That could not have turned out to be 
more faults. My goodness. Wow. I had forgotten he had said that, but I remember it now. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> and, and one other thing, by the way, and we didn't talk about this, but this was kind of an injury play game for Alabama. You mentioned Waddle, right? And, and yeah. rightfully so. But Cornbread, you know, Deontay yep. Brown had a shoulder injury in that game. Uh, Brian Robinson got a little bit dinged up in that game. So mm-hmm. this was one of those games we've had them before, right? Where guys, you know, we have that little rash of injuries. And I remember thinking, watching the game that day, oh no, is this what's going to derail this season? But it did not. It did not. And and we got a lot to look forward to in the coming episodes as we relive the, the 2020 championship season. We've made it halfway through the regular season and the tides sit at 5-0. and And uh, we have a lot to look forward to in the coming weeks. So make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss one single episode of this this recap that that Jonathan and myself are doing. And we're really excited to bring these episodes to you. Man, this is a lot of fun. It really is. It it is a lot of fun. Before we head out, just remind everyone how they can find you on social media. Yeah, as part of Team Tide Talk on Twitter, it's J-S-A-N-F-O-R-D-T-T-S. That's where you can find me on Twitter. All right, and follow Tide Talk Sports on Twitter at Tide Talk Sports. Uh, Go to our website, TideTalkSports.com, so you don't miss anything regarding Alabama athletics. You can follow me on Twitter at BlackwoodTTS. And until next time, roll tide, everybody.